Take your time. It'll take me a minute to get. Oh, you're so kind. My name's Randy Lockley. I'll be your guest speaker today. For those of you that are old enough to remember, I would have said Johnny Carson, and you would have gotten that, but many of you are not that old. So, If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and these handsome gentlemen, or gentle man by himself, will give you one. If you have one, turn to Revelation chapter 3. Take a brief moment and give you a medical update because I know you're hanging on pins and needles wondering. It's all you think about. I do appreciate you've been so kind. I've gotten messages, text messages, emails, cards, phone calls. Uh, even got something from the stars. I've gotten a little bit of everything. Yeah, I really appreciate your prayers. Just so everybody will know, I have a some type of disc problem in my back. I got it riding back on a bus from St. Louis. I guess that's God's way of saying you shouldn't be going to St. Louis on the weekend, but I sat for three hours without moving, and apparently it, my back didn't enjoy that. So, but all the pain is in my left knee. I have no pain in my back, so it's still there, but I had a nerve block Thursday, and at least I can move now. And Mary's tired of hearing me cry and whimper and say, Mary, take me to the emergency room. And uh, that was an interesting trip. Four hours, they said it might be till they got to me. I said, Mary, take me home. So we enjoyed that. So anyway, you continue to pray the nerve block works, because if it doesn't, then I can either have another nerve block or I can get cut upon, so we shall see. But it's much better. I could not walk at all before Thursday, so I really do appreciate your prayers. And one last point about me, and then we'll move on. God has a way of reminding you what's funny. So I had this nerve block Thursday. Friday, I go to a little school event for my seven-year-old granddaughter, and her soon to be her five, her sister will be five on Halloween. And a, God has a sense of humor. This girl needed to be born on Halloween. So... I'm at the little event in, in the gymnasium of school. I'm just standing there like a good grandfather, taking pictures and smiling and going. The really attractive one there, athletic one, is my granddaughter, that kind of thing. And so I'm just standing there, and the little five-year-old just comes running. She sees her granddy. Now, what, do, what do grandchildren do when they see their grandparents? Hopefully they're excited. Up until about age 10, they're pretty excited to see you. And then it's like, oh, God, it's granny again. So Emerson comes running and just, boom, hits me right in the back of the legs. And I went, mmm. And I knew, and I didn't know anybody else there, so I'm figuring it's either Emerson or my daughter Beth, and Beth's got more sense than that. So I go down on my knees, and Emerson said, Grandy, pick me up. And I said, Emerson, I'd love to pick you up and throw you. <laughs> However, if Grandy picks you up, it might hurt my back, and here's what she said. I, love, I, love, I just love little children. She said, well, why don't you just set me on your big tummy? <laughs> and I said, Emerson, let's go get a balloon. <laughs> All right, Revelation 3, verse 7. I really appreciate John filling in as we're going through this series. And uh, if I fall off the stage, just pick me up. So as uh, we've been going through this series at the message to the churches, and we'll wrap it up next week. Next week, we're going to look at the church that makes Jesus puke. This week, we're going to look at the church that he absolutely loves, adores. This is what he's looking for. This is the church the way Jesus intended it to be. His body, his, his family, his bride. This is what he adores. This is what he wants. This is what our goal should be. Today, we're going to look at Philadelphia, the faithful church, the church that got it right. So notice the top of your handout, it says Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's our goal. That's, that's all that we should desire as individual believers and as the church, as the body of Christ, that they would see the light within us, the light 
being Jesus Christ. He is the light that lights every man coming into the world, but he is the light of the world. We want them to see that we've been redeemed. Use an old term I used years ago. We've seen the light. We've come to know Christ. We've been born again individually and in corporately as his body. We want people to be drawn to that light, that we're different, that it's not just another church, that it's not just another group of people getting together and doing religion, that it's different. We want them to see Christ in us, as Paul refers to it, our hope of glory. They may see our good works. Why do we do what we do? A lot of people do good things. But what we want to make sure people see in us as the church of Jesus Christ is what we do, but more importantly, why we do it. And there you see at the end of Matthew 5, 16, they would glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, you said it many times, the word glorify means that they would get a correct estimate of what our Father, our Heavenly Father, means to us. That He's not just the man upstairs. He's not the force. He's not the supreme deity, even though He is that. But He is our Father. It's a personal, intimate, familial, passionate relationship with a God who is our Father, and Jesus who is our Savior. We are His bride. So then you see the words of Jesus Christ from Revelation 1, 2, and 3. In every message to all seven churches, Jesus says these words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is important. Pay attention. Listen. Obey what's being said. Listen to it. Heed it. Obey it. Listen to what God has to say. So as we've been going through these messages to the churches and laying out different things Jesus wanted to say, and today we're going to look at Philadelphia, the faithful church, the one that got it right. What you'll notice as we go through Philadelphia is that there's absolutely everything Jesus says to this church is positive. Throughout, you've seen, with maybe one exception, you've seen Jesus look at these churches and say, I know your works, and he says it here, but I have this against you. I've seen this, and this needs to be done. You need to pay attention to this. To Philadelphia, he looks at them and says, thank you. You're doing it right. You're being what I saved you to be. You are faithful. Philadelphia was the smallest of these churches. It was the youngest of these churches. It was created as a mission church to the Greeks. And it was, it was, it's important to remember this, the smallest and the youngest. We'll come back to that. It was built on a high plateau and it was strategically located on the road from Rome going east. It was on the edge, set on the edge of this plateau of this incredible volcanic plain, very fertile. And it was an area that was absolutely perfect for growing grapes. Now, in the culture of that day, what do you think they did? Culture today. If you're growing a lot of grapes, what are you making? You're making wine. And their, their number one pagan deity in the Philadelphia region was Dionysius, the Greek god of wine and partying. He would have done well in our country today. They absolutely worship. There are a lot of pagan deities, but their number one focal deity was Dionysius, the Greek god of wine. So there was a huge worship center there just dedicated to him. Now, a couple of things that are very interesting you'll see as we go through this. This area of Philadelphia had been destroyed on a number of occasions by volcanic earthquakes, particularly in A.D. 17, just wiped out. But it had been destroyed over and over again by these volcanic earthquakes from the area that it was in. That's important because even though the city was there, the people by and large were terrified to live within the city limits because of these earthquakes. They were constantly afraid buildings, structures were going to fall on them or they would fall into these crevices. And they, they were just terrified to live within the city. So they were constantly going in and out, not ever feeling safe. 
I love how relevant the message of the Bible is. We'll see as we walk through this. So many of them lived outside the city, and even the ones that did live within and the ones that lived without were constantly having to go in to do business, go out, go in, go out, never feeling safe, never feeling secure, constantly going in and out. So Jesus sends a message to this church, the smallest and the youngest of the seven churches. Yet it is the one that he addresses with absolutely no rebuke, and everything he says to it is positive. And here's the message that's very important for us to take away from this. Jesus says, because you are so faithful, I'm going to open doors of opportunity for you to minister. I want you to look around, and even though you're small, and even though you're young, and even though people look at you and say, no, there's no power there, there's no strength there, I'm going to open doors for you. I'm going to show you doors of opportunity. We need to understand in our lives as believers and as the church that whatever we face, good or bad, is an opportunity. Jesus opens doors and he closes doors. By the way, both are good. I'm not supposed to do what someone else wants me to do. I had a long discussion with a dear friend of mine one time. We had been involved in some ministry things together and he wanted me to do something else and I just couldn't do it. Actually, we had been doing this for a long time together, and I just told him, I said, I can't do it anymore. God wants me to do something else. And he, he just was vociferously berating me about not doing what God wanted me to do. And I got a little upset. I don't get mad very often, but I did that day. We were sitting in my office, and I pushed the stuff aside on my desk, and I leaned over where I was real close to him, and I said, hey, dude, you ain't the Holy Spirit. I'll see you later. Now, we patched it up, and things were fine. But there was a message there. Should I have gotten angry? No. But the message was, the Holy Spirit tells me what to do, not someone else. Now, there are principles that we all live by, but we need to understand, for us as Christians, individually and corporately as individual bodies, we have to take the opportunity to go through the doors that God opens for us and understand that even if it looks bad, it might be a door of opportunity. Years ago, the state of Montana put out bounties on wolves. If you would bring in a live wolf, wolf, for everyone you brought in, you got $5,000 cash. So there's these two entrepreneurial guys, they're hunters, and they said, you know, we can make a lot of money. So they went out and they spent three days hunting just day and night trying to find wolves. They were exhausted. They were worn out. They hadn't found one wolf. So names were Sam and Jed. So Sam and Jed laid down. They were camping, said, oh, let's just let's sleep through the night. We'll get up. We'll start again tomorrow. But they wake up. Sam wakes up about three in the morning. He's hearing these growling noises and he wakes up. They are surrounded by like thick, snarling, ravenous wolves. And he punches Jed. He said, wake up. We're going to be rich. <laughs> opportunity. Two ways to look at it. I'm about to die. Oh, what a great opportunity. When God brings something into your life, do you look at it and say, come on, God, I've been good. Why, why are you doing this to me? Why is my left knee killing me? I've been pretty good. I, I, you know, I do everything you want me to do. Why am I going through this? God opens doors. God shuts doors. And it rains on the just, the unjust. Bad things do happen to good people, despite a lot of bad theology that's out there. It does. And so I need to understand. We need to understand. What is it God wants for Christ Church Arlington? Corporately, we know the principles. What does he want for his church? But specifically, what does he want for us? I was so excited about what we were able to do last Sunday night. And I was even asking God. I was laying there praying. I talked to David, and I talked to John, and I talked to Scott, and several other people. I said, last Sunday afternoon, I mean, it, I was in agony. And I said, why, God, I really want to go to this thing tonight. I couldn't even walk. I couldn't even go to the bathroom. It's the way it is. Some reason I didn't need to be there, and that's fine. That's God's business, not mine. I have to be satisfied with what God wants for Randy. 
it's an important principle. So today let's look at Jesus opening and closing doors. Look there on your outline, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. The Apostle Paul says, For great, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Please don't miss that. We'll talk more about this as we go through in the life of the Apostle Paul. Here he says, there's this great door of opportunity, and I can't wait. That God is open for me to go and minister, but there are many adversaries. Listen, if you're trying, Paul told Timothy, if you're desiring to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. Mark it down. For example, do you think Satan is happy if you're trying to do what the Lord wants you to do? Of course not. He's already your enemy. But when you step out in faith and you're really trying to live for the Lord and you want to do what God wants you to do, he's going to attack. He's going to push the buttons that will put you, that will tempt you, hopefully, to fall into sin or into rebellion and not being what God wants you to be. He's going to find your button and he's going to push it. But greater is he who's in you, the greater he that's within the world. Who are you going to respond to? Who are you going to serve? You will have many adversaries. This not what today's message is about, but understand this. The very fact, Paul talks about it over and over, the very fact you have many adversaries is a sign you are living for God. Again, despite a lot of bad theology that's out there. The, the fact you're being persecuted, if it's for Christ's sake, is a sign that you are on the right road, that you are where God wants you to be. We're going to see next week, if you're just rocking along and you're not doing anything, that makes Jesus want to puke. What gets him excited is when you're being persecuted for his sake. Because there's the opportunity we just talked about. When I'm being persecuted, it's an opportunity to glorify him or not. Quick example, and then we'll move forward. The night they came and took Jesus, Peter had a perfect opportunity to glorify Jesus. And did he pass or fail? He failed miserably. Denied him three times, even in front of a little girl at a fire. He cursed Jesus. Failed Jesus miserably that night, but he made up for it later, didn't he? Another principle, he ain't always going to come through. But Jesus ain't giving up on you. Hang in there. Colossians 4, 3, Paul says these words. Pray for us that God may open a door for our message that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I find myself in chains. He was, he was chained up, but he was excited. He said, pray for us that even in chains, I'll get an opportunity to preach. Not blaming anybody, not woe is me, not take pity on me, but pray that I and those with me will have opportunity, doors to share. So let's look at the open door for the faithful church, starting in verse 7. Revelation 3, 7. The open door for the faithful church. To the angel of the church at Philadelphia write, Jesus Christ speaking, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You have kept my word and you have not denied my name. This is a beautiful picture. There was a focus here in verse 7 on the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice what happens. Verse 7, he's the one who is holy, set apart. He who is true, he who has the key of David. And I want to focus on this because this is unique to this church, message to Philadelphia. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, shuts and no one opens. Verse 7 is a direct quote from Isaiah 22, 22. Here's what's going on in Isaiah 22. 
The children of Israel were not grateful to God. He had delivered them, and they were not showing him any gratitude. Matter of fact, they had a guy named Shekna, who was like the chief steward, who was, who was like the king's number one guy. And he was parading around, talking about it, calling himself the mighty man. And they were talking about how they had these weapons. They had these resources to uh, protect. They had these water, the water res, uh, uh, reserves built up. And it was all about them and what they were doing. And so Shebna is removed by God and replaced by a guy named Eliakim, who is a type of Christ. And it says about Eliakim, who now becomes the steward for the king, he has the key. He alone can open and shut. He alone can shut and open. And no one, when he opens a door, nobody else can close it, only him. Why? Because he's the key, keeper of the key. Now what's Jesus saying here? Eliakim was a type of Christ. When you read that story, it's a picture of me. And he's saying to the church at Philadelphia, I'm holy, I'm true, I am your Savior, I am your God. I alone have the keys. I open doors and I shut doors. Please don't miss this principle. He makes no mistakes. When he opens a door, who shuts it? Nobody but him. When he closes the door, who opens it? Nobody but him. So our goal, individually and corporately, is to find out, is this an open door, Lord, or is this a shut door? I want to go through the doors you open, and I want to stay away from the doors you shut. Not kick it down, because I think that's what we ought to do. I don't go to God and say, "Woo, this is a great idea, God. You want to get in on it? Believe me, that happens all the time in churches. I go to God and say, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is it you want us to do uniquely? What is it we are gifted to do? And where do you want us to serve? So Jesus says to this faithful church, I've got the key. I alone open and shut doors. And notice three things in verse 8. They were weak in the eyes of the world, but they were strong in the eyes of Jesus, and they were steady in the name of Jesus. That's a definition that Jesus wanted them to understand. That's my church. Notice verse 8. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door. I've opened the door to ministry there at Philadelphia. Despite the fact you're young, despite the fact you're small. Come back to that in a moment. These things says he is holy and true. Verse 7, now verse 8. I've set before you an open door. No one can shut it, for you have a little strength. You've kept my word, and you have not denied my name. The phrase you have a little strength means they were small. It doesn't mean they were weak. Now the world looked at them, and unfortunately today, many times in ministry, even churches look at each other and say, well, they're just so small. Understand this. Jesus says the world looks at you and says, you have no strength because you're little. You can't accomplish anything. But notice what he says to them, the rest of verse 8. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. They were strong in the things that were important. They kept the word. It was important to them. Please look up here for a moment and understand what I'm about to say to you. It's a passion of my life. It has been, I've been saved for 41 years, but particularly for the last 25, 27 or so that I've been here. There are two things in your life that if you'll get them right, in your arena of your church life, everything else will fall into place. Number one is your prayer life. Stop praying just what I want. Pray, Father, what is your will? I want to be in the middle of it. Talk more about that in a few weeks. But secondly, what I really want to focus on today is get into the Word of God. 
so often in churches, even evangelical churches, good churches, we, we want to say so we, we need seven steps to do this, five ways to get there. I don't want a show of hands, but I want you to be honest in your heart right now with God, who, by the way, already knows. How many of you every day, not as a reason just to mark, but because you want to, passionate, again, do not raise your hand, but every day it's important to you to read the Bible. I can tell you there's been times in my life when it wasn't. I can even tell you as a pastor, the weeks that I don't have to study, which are rare, but if I know if there's a week that I'm not going to, and I don't study as much, I can tell the difference in my life. I'm not saying read 14 chapters so you can impress somebody. I'm saying I want to hear from God today. I want the Lord to speak to me. Just reading the Bible. That's why that Our Daily Bread little simple little devotional book that is free, it's, it's a neat little thing. But it, it's kind of like it keeps you focused on that habit. Every time you read the Bible, it's the omnipotent God of the universe who is your dad saying, hey boy, pay attention. I'm talking to you. I like Foghorn Leghorn. Pay attention, Randy, you knucklehead. Stop that. Do this. Look at this. Examine that. Just by reading and take it a step further then you need to be in some systematic Bible study, whether it's one of our home groups, our Sunday morning Bible studies, something you may do on the Internet. I listen to two or three preachers a week that I greatly admire. I listen to their sermons and take notes every week. I need it. So do you. Because when you're strong in the Word of God, notice the church Jesus praises, the faithful church. They were strong in His Word, and therefore they were steady in His name. They stood for Him, His character, person, who He was. It wasn't just a church with his name on it. It's who they were. Despite the fact they were small and young, and the world looked at them and said, they can't accomplish anything. This is the one church Jesus praises above all because they were faithful. They stepped through the door. They did what God wanted them to do. Not looking at their apparent weaknesses, but saying, God has placed us here for this moment in time in history. Step up. Here we are in 2011 going into another presidential election next year, and our country looks like it's absolutely falling apart. What a great time to be a Christian in this culture to say, where's your faith? What are you really counting on? What are you really depending on? You think those knuckleheads in Washington, I don't care which party they're from, you think they're going to solve your problems? No, I believe I'm going to trust the God of the universe, who, by the way, is my dad, who owns everything. That's who I'm going to trust. Steady in Jesus' name, strong in his eyes. Because here's the point. Success, and we're very guilty of this in the United States and the evangelical church, we define success as how many people you have coming. How many people did you baptize last year? Is there anything wrong with having large numbers? No. There's also nothing wrong with having small numbers if you're faithful. If you're faithful, sometimes things change. Sometimes it just doesn't happen numerically. But if you're strong in the Word of God, if you're steady in Jesus' name, if you're faithfully going through the doors of opportunity, He will describe you as faithful. And excitedly turn to his dad and say, that's my bride. I love those people because they reflect me. Second Corinthians 12, 10 on your outline, Paul says, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you're going through all those things, and they are for Jesus, not because you've done something wrong and you're, you're reaping what you've sown, but when you're being persecuted, when you're in a distress, when you're being reproached, when you have a desperate need, and it's because you are living for Christ. Paul says, I take pleasure in those things because that's when I'm really strong, because I'm having to depend on him. If you read the context of this passage, this is after he's begged Jesus three times to remove his thorn in the flesh. What did Jesus say to him? No, my grace 
is sufficient for you. I'm not going to take it away. You're going to live with it. But God, I could really do a lot. I'm not taking it away. But Jesus, I am not taking it away, Paul. All right, then I'll take pleasure in it. I'll take pleasure in it. Whatever it was, and I'm sure it was a nerve going down your left leg into your knee. Whatever it was, he said, all right, I'm going to take pleasure in it because it gives me a chance, an opportunity to glorify God. So number two, the opportunity for the faithful church. Verse 9, here's the opportunity. Jesus says, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and they are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you because you have kept my command to persevere. I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. There's a lot of things in here we could talk about prophetically and otherwise we're not doing that because that's really not our focus. But here's the opportunity for the faithful church. Three things, persecution, perseverance, and performance. Persecution, perseverance, and performance. Jesus said, I'm so proud of you. You're being persecuted, but you're persevering. You're faithful. You are not letting me down. You are doing the right thing. Hang in there. Kay Arthur says, and I've done many of her Bible studies over the years and have learned a lot from one of her favorite sayings is, hangeth thou in there. Hangeth thou in there. Because it's not always going to be easy. As we've talked about several times, it will be hard. It's a, but it's an opportunity. First John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Notice the punctuation at the end of that statement. It's an exclamation point. That God, and, and any time, by the way, John called himself the apostle whom Jesus loved. You know why he called himself that? It wasn't like, look at me, because he was in the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. It wasn't like, look at me, woo, Jesus loves me. You know why he called himself the apostle whom Jesus loved? He couldn't believe Jesus loved him. He was overwhelmed that Jesus would love him. I hope, I hope when you understand, you read the Bible, and you examine your own heart, it brings you to your knees saying, God, why have you been so good to me? Why in the world did you die for me? Why do you love? I don't deserve it. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. So you persevere. Even when you're persecuted and you perform, not to notch anything, not to impress anyone, Jesus said, just hold on because you're going to get a crown for what you do. And ultimately, you will be vindicated as my children. In the synagogue of Satan and the people that lie about you and persecute you, the time will come when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that I am Lord to the glory of God the Father. We don't want people to miss out on heaven. Our desire, even for our worst enemy, is to know Jesus and to be eternally saved. But for those that mock him and persecute us, Jesus will vindicate our perseverance, our endurance. He calls us overcomers throughout these messages. It's an opportunity. Can't believe that we're called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. It's really important we understand that every time you walk out the door of your house or dialogue with someone from your computer, your phone, wherever, and hopefully face-to-face -face every now and then, that God is saying, are you praying this is an opportunity? Are you really hoping that this is a chance for them to, for you to witness? I read a story this week about a guy. Every day he would wake up and he'd pray, God, um, you want me to witness to somebody today? And, and Lord, I need a sign. Would, would you give me a sign to witness somebody? But day after day, he'd get on the bus. He rode to work back and forth. He never witnessed anybody. And, but he would pray, Lord, give me a sign. I need to witness to somebody. Just give me a sign, Lord. And finally, he got on the bus one day. And he goes to work. Just no signs. He didn't witness anybody. But coming home, for some reason that day, there's only two people on the bus, him and another guy. And suddenly the other guy just breaks down, starts weeping out loud, and says, I need God in my life. Do you have any idea where I could find him? 
And the first guy prays, Lord, is this a sign? <laughs> I've said this many times over the years. I'll challenge you with it again. If you ask God and you're sincere and you beg God for opportunities to share your faith, guess what? You'll have to turn them down. Why? Because that's why you're on the planet. You're here to make disciples. Well, you can't make disciples till they know about Jesus. Because that's what a disciple is, is a learner follower. Does it mean you're going to be Billy Graham? Of course not. You need to be who you are. Where you are, in the arena God places you, he has you there, not Billy Graham, not somebody else, you. That's your opportunity. Oh, am I going to step through it individually and corporately? On Paul's second missionary journey, he desperately desired to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit said, no, you're not going. He really wanted to go. So he said, all right, I want to go to Bithynia. He tried to go there. God closed that door. He said, no, you're not going to Asia, not going to Bithynia. But what God did do was open another door, the vision of the Macedonian man. And he stepped through that door. And what it did was open up Europe to the gospel. Now, Paul didn't know that, did he? Aren't you glad the gospel went to Europe? Most of your descendants, that's where they came from. That's how the gospel got to these shores. Aren't you glad? God closed the first two doors and opened the third one. He opens the doors. He shuts the doors. We go through the open one. That's being faithful. Finally, the owner's promises to the faithful church. Verse 12, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he'll go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, I love this because it's, it's tied in with Philadelphia. It says, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. There's a picture here. Talked about Philadelphia earlier, that constantly it was being devastated by earthquakes. They had no strength and they had no security. They didn't know for sure what was going to happen. These earthquakes, what would be left? What Jesus is saying is, I'm going to make you a pillar. What's a pillar? It's a supporting thing. It's always going to be there. It's the strength. When everything else falls down around you, you'll still be there. You don't have to worry about being secure. You don't have to worry about anything falling down. You're going to have five, four things. You're going to have strength. You're going to have status. You're going to have security. And you're going to have a special name because you are mine, the overcomers, the children of God. You don't have to worry about earthquakes. Notice he says, you'll go out no more. Remember in Philadelphia, because of the earthquakes, what did they have to do? Go in, go out. We never were secure. Jesus says, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You're going to be a pillar in the temple. And you're not going out anymore. And you're going to have a special name, the name of my God, the city of my God, and a new name. You see, in Philadelphia, if you became a citizen that everybody really admired, they would put your name on one of the pillars. Jesus said, but I'm going to give you a name that you don't have to worry about being destroyed. I'm going to give you a new name. Turn over to Revelation 20, 21 and we'll be through. Revelation 21. He says, I'm going to give you the name of the new city, the new Jerusalem. I want you just to see these verses. 21-2. Then I, John, 21-2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, sorrow, nor crying. There'll be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give up the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. Drop down to verse 22. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb 
is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. They'll bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there, there shall by no means enter in it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The faithful, the ones who know Christ. It's a special name. It's a new name. What God wants is for us to be faithful. Years ago, there was an elderly pastor in the church. He'd been preaching there for years. Sunday morning, one Sunday morning, one of the deacons took him aside and just began to berate him, saying, you know, you're just not cutting it anymore. We've had one person join the church this year, and that's a little boy. And the elderly pastor said, I feel it. He told the deacon, he said, I heard over it. But I feel like I've been faithful. I'm preaching what God wants. The little boy's name that had come into the church that year came up to him after the service that day. And he was going to, the pastor was going to, elderly pastor was going to resign. The little boy came up to him and said, said uh, Reverend, do you think it's possible that one day I might be a preacher if I got a really good education and worked hard? Could I be a preacher or a missionary? And he, the elderly pastor, yeah, you sure can. Then he realized, this is why I'm here, to be faithful, preach the word, see what God does. Years ago, years later, the, the pastor was dead, and this elderly missionary came back. He'd been out in the field for years, and he came back. He was just, everyone adored him and thought the world of him. He had led many, many people to Christ, the continent of Africa, including many savage chieftains. His name was Robert Moffat. He was the same little boy. You never know what God's done. You have to be faithful. When you're faithful, God is pleased. The world may look at it and say, you ain't cut. The church may look at you and say, you're not cut. God knows. You know. Jesus opens doors of opportunity. We just got to step through. Sometimes he shuts doors. We got to be okay with that. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you for just who you are. You love us as much as you do. You've been as good to us as you have. Lord, we thank you for the privilege of serving you, the privilege of ministry, that you open doors that we can step through. So, Lord, even as we close out today, I just pray as individuals, we let our hearts be moved by the Holy Spirit, be honest with you. Am I, am I in the Word of God? Am I praying your will, Father? Am I seeking your face? Do I want what you want? And even, Lord, as a church corporately, we would pray that. We want to be exactly what you want us to be. We thank you for the privilege of stepping through those doors. Lord, we want to be like Philadelphia, faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.